Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Notergrow podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ivan Khan. We are here with Notergrow episode two from season two. Today's guest um, is a recurring guest. He's been a returnee. He was here with us early on in season one. We had to we had a great chance and great important conversation about civil rights, uh, police community relations, um, and dream chasers. So with season two having more of an episode uh, uh, focus on parenting and education, we're going to be hearing about Dream Chasers with its founder, uh, Jason Moss Clark. So Jason, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Lon. It's great to be back. You know, I remember having such a great time the first time uh, for season one. So it's good to be uh, invited back for season two. Thank you so much. Your episode was one of the highest uh, viewed uh, episodes in season one. It was it was early on uh, in our older office, and now we are here overlooking Manhattan and all these amazing uh, this amazing view that we have behind us. So uh, I mean, let's makes get a lot of sense. I mean, I think my wife and I we streamed it about seven times a day. So that may actually be the reason why you had such high. Uh, and you just signed on to different uh, logins and you kept subscribing and liking and exactly told all your friends. <laughs> so congratulations on all the amazing life milestones. We are back post pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm so glad to know that uh, everyone in your family and your loved ones have been have been holding it down. Yeah, so, you. you know, let's 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 recap a little bit about, you know, our first section. We're going to do education, growth and culture today. We're going to have a, a big uh, focus on where you grew up, Jamaica, Queens, uh, where, uh, you know, Nipa grew up, my wife, uh, my amazing wife. And we also have uh, get to hear a lot about this amazing program that you founded, Dream Chasers. So tell us about your childhood in Jamaica, Queens in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, definitely. And I didn't know that about Nipa. Where in uh, Jamaica did she grow up? You know that building where you live right now mm-hmm. uh, above the CVS? Mm-hmm. She grew up. Uh, the building right across the view. So she was in the Wexford ah, Terrace building yeah. right above where Cons Jamaica is now. Uh, back in the day, I think it, there was a Benny's Pizza was across the street with, with Radio Shack, now now gone. Right. Now it's a computer place and there was like this ice cream store um, and uh, right across the street from you. This is the 80s, man. And she went to Catholic school. She went to, you know, Immaculate Conception. She's like wow. right next to your house. Right, and then, right. and uh Mario Lewis Academy, right, right around the corner. Uh, did you go to Catholic school growing up? What was it like for you? <laughs> no, no, I didn't go to um, Catholic school. But um, interestingly, I actually went to school in a different uh, school district. And it's this whole other story. I'm not even sure if I had told you about this. Uh-huh. But when I was a kid, my parents had me take an exam to get into some of the magnet programs, right? That was okay. in a different district. And interestingly, even though I hit whatever scores and qualifications, um, they didn't want to let me in because I was black. So my mother, she uh, she reached so, out to the city council member. <clears throat> what? The, yeah. 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 I, I know. It's this, it's this whole story. So she reached out to the city council member. She reached out to the borough president. She reached out to the state center. She reached out to anyone who would listen. Yeah. Until eventually... She was able to speak with the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund. Wow. Um, they agreed with her um, and they brought a civil action on my behalf. And it's actually what got myself as well as three other students of color into our first grade class of that magnet program. Where was this um, magnet program? Um, I'm, I'm so sorry this happened to you. Yeah. This, it, it's got to be like not only traumatizing for a child and a family when you're in first grade, you're like, wait a minute. 
I got in. This isn't fair. Well, you know? the funny thing you know, is, like, at that time I was so young, I don't even remember any of this. You know, my yeah. parents had told me because this was first grade for me. And uh, I mean, I won't say the actual district, but it was certainly here. And, and how do Queens. they tell you? Like, did, how do they say like, oh, we're not going to take it. They, they can't say, oh, it's because, you know, like, what are they? How do they well, I, I think try to read between the lines? How do they try to communicate that? I, I think it's the it's way you see up. a lot of the different, um, you know, systemic racism that you see out there. Someone will just won't just say to you, you know, we aren't going to let you in because of your color. But you'll be able to see that there are other folks who um, who had the same type of qualifications. Um, that were accepted and then see that there are certain folks that are um, systematically not being permitted to be to participate. And the funny thing about it is, and I didn't realize this when I was a kid, but after I uh, graduated from um, actually when I got into high school, Bronx Science, my mother said, make sure you go back to that school and tell it, you know, speak with the principal, go over there and just tell them what you're doing. You know, when I got into college, you know, she made me go back and tell. And I had no idea. I was just embarrassed and just kind of also realizing how much taller I was than, you know, all the teachers that I uh, thought were so much taller when you're in yeah. first and second grade. But so you I went back older, there with some breaking news, right? Right. There we go. Some By the way, news. I got into Bronx Science. Right. And then four years later, you went back to elementary school. Yeah. About Princeton. By the uh, way, I'm headed to Princeton. So what? Yeah. how the heck did they respond to you every time you went back with these amazing milestones? Everyone was, you know, certainly nice enough. I mean, for me and my experience when I was in the school, everything, you know, was, uh, I, I had a great experience there. But yeah. I, but it was about actually getting in, right? And for me, it's such a critical point in actually my development because, you know, getting into school like Bronx Science, we know how difficult and challenging it is to get into many of the specialized high schools. But in my class of approximately maybe about like 34 kids, I would say probably about 30 kids got into Bronx Science. And so, but that's from a school that's a feeder in the community where everyone knows about it. Right. And it, well, yeah, and it was a magnet program. And, right? it's, and it's a magnet program. So, so it's like uh, the uh, actual uh, lessons that you're getting earlier, you know, the folks that you're, um, you know, having your classes with, you know, you're getting a... Um, uh, an accelerated curriculum uh -huh. in second grade and third grade and fourth grade. So by the time you get to eighth grade and you're taking this exam, it's still difficult, but you've already been preparing. To me, I look at it as, let's say someone was in constitutorial, yeah. you know, not just in seventh grade, but since third grade. Oh yeah, our state exam <laughs> program. We got but, a lot of them, yeah. Exactly, but that's that same type of thing. If you're If you're learning and getting access to resources at an early stage, you naturally start to get to a point where, you know, taking a test like the SHSAT isn't as difficult because you've really been preparing for You're around this one year, two years, but for, you know, your entire life. So I'm not sure if you remember this, but you and I actually went to the same junior high school. You went to 67. I really don't know. Really you never knew this stuff, right? No. So here uh -huh. I am. I grew up, um, you know, you and Nipa grew up on 179 in Hillside around mm -hmm. Midland Parkway. Um, I grew up in South Ozone Park, right? Mm -hmm. And I ended up um, moving to like Jericho Turnpike, Jamaica Ave, 242nd Street. And my mom would have to drive me like far, far uh -huh. just to get to 67. Yeah. So we ended up going to really good middle school, right. you know? Exactly. And we could have gone to a closer place like Ryan, which is excellent in District 26, but we ended up going in. Um, in 67 mm -hmm. did you think that your middle school experience made a difference in where you end up in uh in 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 college or 
Does does your middle school matter if you go to a better middle school or not? Clearly, finding a good pipeline uh, program, like you are the magnet program. It was called IGC or SP, mm -hmm. and now it's called GNT. Whatever. It's different, uh, you know, flavors or different ways of repackaging these accelerated programs. Um, by the time you went to middle school, you and I ended up going to one of the top middle schools in Queens. And there weren't too many black or brown kids. There were very few South Asian kids and there were very few black kids at uh, this amazing middle school. But it also gave us some really accelerated academics. Right. How would you describe that experience that we went through? Yeah, no, I had, um, you know, great experience. You know, the weird thing is for me that, I mean, it was my adolescence. But I feel like that was the adolescence, like in my progression, like I feel for the first time I was a little nervous. I was meeting all these other kids and they were older and what have you. And interestingly, I think I really found myself by the time I got to high school. But it was during those times where, you know, you were able to get terrific classes and have access to resources and, you know, just be able to try to find yourself in different ways, which I think is important. You need time to, you know try to be inventive and creative with yourself where some things will work and some things, you know, don't work, but it's the whole process of, um, of learning. And, um, you know, it was, it was a great time. So as now you're, you know, in the, in community serve, you know, community organizing, you're a founder of dream chasers, you know, you, you work in so many spaces that overlap, uh, technology, education, the legal field. What does Bronx science have to do with all of that? I mean, a lot of it could have started there. Could have obviously started with your amazing parents and your entire family, but you are you're a jack of all trades. And does Bronx <laughs> Science have anything to do with that, or you know, the art time there? Yeah, and, and actually, the funny thing is, too, even your previous question. I remember when I got started, everyone was telling you about how difficult it was going to be, and it certainly was challenging, you know, yeah. through your time. But I actually felt pretty prepared just because of the experience I had, you know, in middle school, mm -hmm. you know, in elementary school, I feel like I've been competing or competing is the right word, but like having classes with other students you know, at that level, achieving at a high level that had really needed me to make sure I was doing my homework on time and make sure I was keeping up with courses because that's what all your friends were doing. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, so there's that kind of natural positive, um, uh, you know, experience that makes you want to be able to learn more. And then uh, when I got started, you know, I think that it played a, a big role for myself in trying to figure out who I am and where I was going to be, you know, when I, um, you know, when I became an adult. And I probably say for me, and we got into this, I think, a little bit the last time we had a conversation, but it was really my senior year. You know, my senior year, I had been involved with uh, student government at Bronx Science. Mm. And that was the year that Amadou Diallo was shot 41 times. And, and the four officers that had shot him were all acquitted. And, uh, you know, Amadou Diallo, he was shot in Soundview, the Bronx, which mm -hmm. was maybe 20, mm -hmm. 25 minutes away from, you know, where our school was. And it was really at that time you start to see that, you know, the justice system that, you know, throughout your life you're telling you is there to protect you. You start to realize that the experiences that some folks have are very different than others. You know, Amadou Diallo was a first generation American. You know, he, he wasn't too much older, older than you and I. No, we were. No, he was like 19. I was a senior, uh, 17. You were 16, 17. Right. You were a junior when it happened. And it happened like 15 minutes from our high school. Yeah. And there's a bunch of kids in all of our classes who 
grew up in Sandview or are, right. are, are from the neighborhood. Right. And this um, young man uh, who's, you know, tragically killed, he wasn't that much older than us. Yeah. And the wild thing about it is, and you talk about your career and where it takes you. Um, when I was doing research on um, what had happened, I had learned about this office called the New York State Attorney General's Office. Mm. And they had just a, released a report on stop and frisk, which, you know, we all kind of, you know, that's a term that most folks now know now. But in 1999 and 2000, no one was talking about this. And they had released that first report showing some of the disparities in the individuals that were being arrested, you know, disparities in the number of folks who actually were, um, you know, convicted of a crime. And for me, it was that time where I realized that, especially after these officers were acquitted, where even though uh, Amadou Diallo was shot in the Bronx, the officers were from the Bronx, the incident happened in the Bronx, you know, the whole trial happened up in Albany. And people would give you all these reasons and talk about why this was the case. And, you know, it sounded like, again, like justifications, but it didn't sound like justice. And for me, that's what made me interested in the law, you know, made me interested in going to law school and then starting my career at the attorney general's office, you know, trying to figure out a way that we could be able to make a difference in the lives of people who uh, grew up in communities like ours. That's a lot. I, I, I got to, you know, it's, it's, it's a long journey since everything you've spoken about till the last two, three years since the pandemic mm -hmm. started. Right. Uh, have you seen uh, progress? And, you know, before we, you know, go on to hearing about your time at Princeton and at UMish Law, uh, hard, tough question. Do you, yeah. see, do, do you see progress or hope for that? So I do. I do. And I'm also a, um, uh, a continual optimist. Mm. So I always see that. And I think it's important <clears throat> because even though there is a lot more that needs to be done, I think it's important to recognize some of the progress, you know, that has been made. Right. Mm. So, for example, if you look at, uh, you know, Breonna Taylor. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's not in New York, but, you know, but that's, you know, over in Kentucky. There is no circumstance in the past where they would get the convictions that they had and they would have had the civil settlement that they had, which in a lot of ways are, is important. You know, there are all these changes that were made it's, to the um, uh, to the justice system there. If we look at Tyree Nichols, right, that just happened step. earlier. There. Yeah. I mean, by the time the footage was out there, which was horrible and deplorable, you know, you already had the officers were uh, fired. You know, the officers, yeah. you know, were already being charged with second degree, you know, murder. You know, these are things that would have taken forever to get to this point. So it certainly doesn't Or mean, never happened. Right, past. exactly. Yeah, or yeah. the fact that there were body cameras. I mean, we had now all we of this footage cameras, to be able to see this. Because before then, when you talk about these issues, you would hear, you know, officers being able to say, that's not what happened. There was yeah. resisting arrest. You heard them even in that footage saying resisting arrest. Yeah. But you could actually see that that wasn't the case. Nope. And... In the past, it ended up being a he said, she said, and because there were officers, because there was something called qualified immunity, you know, it would skew against the actual victim. It was, so, it was a bias in exactly. baked into the system's rules to allow, uh, you know, terrible behavior to go unchecked 
Right. So, so there's so much more that needs to be done. But I do think it's important, and we do ourselves a disservice when we don't recognize the actual progress that's been made. Because when you talk about that next generation of leaders going mm-hmm. out there, you know, it's very easy to become apathetic and say, well, why should I get involved with politics? Why should I get involved with cover, uh, government or, uh, or civic engagement if nothing ever changes? It's important to actually see the changes so that you see the work actually moving in, a, in the right direction but that's a different conversation by saying that, you know, we've gotten to where we need to be. It's a continuum with, you know, whether you're living in grays or something a little bit more black and white, you know, progress is important. And um, I really believe it's, it's something that you can never take your foot off the pedal. Right. And you got to, you know, stay on top of it because the second the second you smell some achievement, it, it can all the way back because people get complacent at right. that point. And, and a perfect so. example to that is on Monday. So on one of my hats, I've been serving as a region two director of the National Bar Association. Wow. And uh, we're having a, uh, a program on Monday about ending uh, discriminatory police practices. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea is after that, we're going to have a list of different recommendations, tangible things that we're mm-hmm. going to give some of our policy our um our local leaders and policymakers and say these are specific things that can be done on the state level on the city level on the federal level and then of course our step is to be able to hold them accountable but again you know these are things that keep going and you keep moving keep forward. the conversation going and then yeah and, and, and share that's the why tapes all of this is and, important and make it shareable right when you finished up at bronx science and you were headed, um, let's get this right, you're Princeton undergrad for college right. and then University of Michigan Law School. Mm-hmm. So when you started at Princeton, um, what were the milestones? What were, what were the best memories, the two best memories you had in, in your four years at Princeton? It's not every day that any of us uh, get to Princeton for Bronx Science, uh, but to be you know, a Queensite, Right. Uh, to be out in Princeton, any any of the things that really really stick out in your mind? Yeah, I mean it was it was challenging, and what I, what was one of the things that was so amazing to me is that for some of the other students, uh, many of them, for example, who had gone to some of the you know the best private schools in the country, the prep the prep school kids, yeah, yeah, yeah you know, but the tie and blazer, go on. What I loved about it though, and I really just marveled at it, is that they could just go to a lot of the classes. And there was just a certain way that they were um, just retaining everything. And then they could go enjoy themselves. You know, there was a nice balance. And, you know, I think myself and some of you know, we got there later, but it, it reinforced for me that being in the right academic settings from the beginning and being in rigorous um, um, conversations. Yeah, yeah. It, it prepares you in a way that you don't, uh necessarily always see because obviously you know and obviously at a school uh like princeton you know this is you know another level you know a higher level where there are a lot of the students have done amazing things right um so, so in that you're sense with like the cream of the crop and not only the cream of the crop these are students well, who, cream of the crop and you know and me. you know <laughs> academically you know you're you are the you're you are the cream of the crop if you're there and you're with other people from there and here you are seeing other kids who didn't take the Bronx Science Pathway or the mm-hmm. New York City Public High Schools Pathway. Right, They're there are very from... few kids who came from public schools. Public schools. That was one of the things that I saw there. Um, but I had an amazing experience. You know, I think that I had a couple of things that made it easy for me. So, for example, you know, I had walked on the track team. So 
from day one, I knew 50 kids mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah. my year. Um, and, you know, just by actually running every single day, uh, you know, you're getting positive, you know, endorphins, uh, you know, kind of feeding you through the experience. So that was um, a lot of fun. So we'll, we'll talk about this more in the next section, but you are a founder of an amazing program called Dream Chasers. Mm-hmm. And you've been helping dozens and dozens of uh, students and families from underrepresented communities and, you know, forgotten school districts and underfunded school districts and all this stuff uh, to these amazing places. So for the next Dream Chasers scholar mm-hmm. that's headed to Princeton or Cornell or uh, UPenn, what advice would you have for them? Keep going. That that it's really that simple, you know. And then even kind of uh, coming from the uh, the track metaphor, you know, there are times when you feel like I don't have anything left and I can't move anymore. But to keep putting one foot in front of the other, that's half of life. That's half of life right there. And I think that especially in uh, a lot of disadvantaged or historically marginalized neighborhoods, there are a lot of these indirect ways where people, you know, you can start to make you feel like you're less than, right? So you may not be um, uh, at the same level, let's say in seventh grade, as maybe some of the other students are at other schools. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talked about some of the reasons that may be. Um, And I think that there is a natural feeling to be able to say like, yeah, everyone tells me I can be whatever I want. But you know, there isn't an after school program where I could be able to, you know, feed my interests in STEM or I may be having trouble in, um, I don't know, sequential tool math or something mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that. But I can't get to the actual additional training because I have to go. Sir, it's called algebra two now, sir. And, tri- <laughs> and, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm teasing. I'm teasing <laughs> but again. all of those Show things how old we are, yeah. make a difference. And I swear you can, whatever it is you are now, you could be able to get an extra, any of those students, an extra 20% mm-hmm. in your performance in anything if you just keep going. And there's something that my sister had told me as a kid, uh, which I think is is spot on. She said that, you know, my sister, she's two years uh, younger than me. Mm-hmm. And when we were in high school, she was really, really nervous about getting into a good college. Yeah. But after she saw me get into college, she didn't worry about it anymore. It's like and if Jason can do it, I can do anything. Exactly. If my, if my stupid brother can do this, <laughs> the way siblings talk about each other, go on. No, but but there is truth in that. Because I think sometimes we think that, well, I can't do this because I don't have a perfect score in this. Because I don't have enough leadership. Or I don't, all of these reasons that tell you why you can't do something. But when you're able to see folks who who you see their flaws very conspicuously and be able to say, okay, I can do this. All of a sudden, you're like, I'm in this race. Like, think about if this is a race, if someone is just dusting you, you know, and you're trying to finish up, it's hard to kind of keep up, right? But if there is someone who's maybe like just like a hair in front of you, you're like, I can catch them. I can catch them. So when I say, you know, just keep going, the more you keep feeling I can catch them, by the time you finish that race, you have run a lot faster than you would have thought when you felt like I'm trying to finish it up because I have to, but I don't really think I have a, a chance, you know? And for Dream Chasers, you know, the mentoring component is so important because we need folks to be able to tell us or you need to be able to see folks like you who have been able to overcome some of the same challenges. And when that happens, all of a sudden it's like a light switch that makes you feel like, you know, I can do this. I can do this more. And if you just do all of that, if you just keep pushing, you know, you'll be um, surprised at how far you can go. Incredible. I think this is the perfect time for our first break. 
when we come back, I'd love to open up about hear a little bit more about Dream Chasers, the name behind it, and you know, and and how it came about. So yeah, we'll be right it. back after a word from our sponsors. Knowledge, encouragement, and community. That's our promise at Khan's Tutorial. The Dr. Mansoor Khan SHSAT Scholarship was created in 2014 to boost diversity at New York City's esteemed specialized high schools. Right now, less than 50% of New Yorkers are grade level proficient in ELA and math. This can be due to underfunding, neglect, and political infighting. We believe there's a solution where both merit and equity can coexist. Since the start of our tutoring scholarships, we've improved the pipeline of standouts from an early age. Since 2014, our scholarships and partnerships have helped over 200 Black and Latin students gain acceptances. It is our mission to expand our scholarship program and work with schools and community leaders to increase awareness, provide high quality prep, and ultimately mobilize underrepresented communities. Contact Consultorial to apply today. Best wishes to you all. We are back to the Notagro podcast, Dream Chasers with uh, Jason Clark. So Jason, Dream Chasers, it's an organization that you're the founder of creating equitable access to New York City specialized high schools. What year did Dream Chasers start? Why that name? And, uh, you know, how's it gone so far? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a good question. How long? I think it's been about 16, 17, 18. Yeah. Cause I was going to say we're probably like about five years, like the whole, um, pandemic kind of skews it a little bit, but yeah, you know, like 2017, let's go with that because part of it too, is even before we had our first class, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, it took some time to actually put it all together. So dream chase is a free tutoring and mentoring program aimed at helping students, especially from underrepresented backgrounds um you know prepare and get admitted to some of the specialized high schools and um you know the name as you um, referred to it before it actually comes from a poem from one of my favorite uh poets langston hughes where he asks you know what happens to a dream deferred does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or does it fester like a sore and then run and the whole concept behind it is that you know for too long uh, dreams um, in too many of our communities have had to defer. And, you know, when you look at education, right, like this year we're doing a lot in Southeast Queens. And if you look at the actual, um, you know, proficiency levels in math, you know, it's 21%. In ELA, it's 45%. And then we wonder why folks aren't able to, you know, take those next steps in middle schools and high schools. So to but, clarify, grade level proficiency levels, that means out of hmm. every five kids in the district, only one out of every five children are able to perform math correct at the appropriate age grade level. level. Exactly. Grade level, age level. And when you look at that for ELA, that's still somewhere between 20 to 40%, depending on the school, depending mm-hmm. on the demographic, depending on the actual school district uh, within South Queens or other parts of New York. Right, exactly. And that's the thing. If, if these are the numbers in first grade, second grade, third grade, all the way up to eighth grade, and then you wonder, you know, why aren't we having enough students who are graduating? Why don't we have enough students that are going to college? Why aren't we having enough students that are having, you know, these positive metrics that we usually look at to track, um, you know, how our kids are doing? You know, these are the answers. 
But, you know, again, these dreams don't have to defer if we figure out ways to help. And it doesn't just have to be saying that our schools, you know, have to figure out ways to do better or figure out ways that there are more resources. We can figure out ways to build them ourselves. And, you know, I'll say from the very beginning, when you ask about how Dream Chasers uh, came to be, it really came from a conversation with you. <laughs> like, I the library at Bronx Science. Exactly. Right. Little OG, uh, <laughs> uncle aged. OG Unk level. Uh, we were doing our uh, charity, our yearly charity stuff for yeah, we for had, college admissions. Right. We had come back, you know, Bronx Science had Project Acceptance. I believe that's what it was yeah. called. Try to help students who are getting ready to take their interviews. And, you know, we we're having this conversation because I knew that the numbers had, uh, especially for uh, Black and Latinx students, had gone down uh, dramatically. But going there and seeing that the large majority of folks who are Black and Hispanic were there were the other alumni like myself who mm -hmm. were there, you know, it really, you know, it really put it into, um, into perspective. And uh, I knew you were doing this terrific stuff over a constitutorial. And we had our opportunity scholarship, mm -hmm. uh, you know, since 2014. And, um, you know, I think our partnership with Brooklyn Tech right. started right around the same time, maybe one or two years before. So it was like opportunity mm -hmm. scholarship, STEM Brooklyn Tech Pipeline. And we were able to sort of use the experiences of both to, to you know, lend our tutoring right. leadership to you. But you folks really blew it out of the water with the mentorship aspect. That's yeah. something that I started uh, following and studying and figuring out how we could do more of. We started movie night um, mm. or, or movie day after like a Thursday of class. Uh, in the summertime, because in my community, you know, new immigrants, we can't afford to go to the movies. Mm -hmm. So we'd bring the latest movie in and got kids it. who get the, the parents slip. Right. But we got that from watching you folks, the Dream Chasers, take our scholars to the movies or to Mets games. So, yeah, because we'd ask them what they wanted to do, because it's important to learn. It's important to have your classes, but it shouldn't be your entire childhood. Right? No. Um, and I said, what do you want to do? Everyone wants to see Black Panther. It was coming out. So we went out and we went to Black Panther, you know, a couple of years later, you know, they wanted to see Avengers, you know, uh -huh. and, and, uh, look, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I was not like wringing my hand saying like, we can't do this. I was, you know, secretly very happy for all of this, but the funny thing about it, and like you said, we do other things. We go to, um, baseball games, you know, we, um, you know, do a couple of other events, but for me, the area that really had the most dividends in doing that is when we actually took the students for some of the open houses to some of the specialized high schools. And mm. They can actually be there and see what's there and their parents can see it as well. And all of a sudden, like you could see the synapses just like popping, mm -hmm. you know, in their brain saying like, oh, I can do this. I can. There are all these opportunities here. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, people are like, I get it. You know, like, I get it. This is why, you know, we're studying every Friday. This is why we're coming, getting up early on Saturdays to do this type of work. This is why we're spending our summers, you know, really focusing on our own development. Because, you know, these are the opportunities that are um, available to you. And just in our, first, in our first year, we had 10 students, right? And, uh, you know, we had students just from that 10. And I remember, like, if you just to kind of set the... Um, um, you know, set the table. So currently there are approximately 66% of all public school students are black or Latinx, right? Uh, but less than 11% are accepted to any of the specialized high schools. And then when you look at the schools such as Bronx Science, um, I think the number historically has been less than 3%. 
you know, when you look at um, Stuyvesant, it's like 1.5%, right? Yeah, Yeah. the highest cutoffs. And again, you know, it's not that you can't be able to do the work, but if you don't have access to the resource, if you don't feel like you can actually have a chance at these things, it's very easy to, um, you know, just feel less than. And it's not even just about like your your academic experience. You know, these are the same feelings that are going to continue with you, you know, when you become an adult and the opportunities that you push for and the opportunities that you don't. Right. So this is a really critical time. And just in that first year, I mean, I, there were eight students, if I remember correctly, from Sty, um, uh, eight, eight black students that were accepted into Stuyvesant. And mm-hmm. I, I can't remember, but it was something like 750 students mm-hmm. were accepted that year. But one of those kids came from um, um, from, um, from, from Dream Chasers. Chasers. And mm-hmm. I think a number of them also came from Constitorial. Thankfully, um, with not only Dream Chasers, but the Opportunity Scholarship that we started, plus the Brooklyn Tech STEM program. Um, out of the seven or eight students, at least half of them had prepared with cons material in our classes with our teachers right. with through dream chasers. Um, however, we both know that number should be 70 to right. 250. Oh yeah. Or I 400. Mean, even and, if you look at Stuyvesant, right? Like if it was back in the eighties where they had less slots, there were over 300 black students. We uh, did the math on the fractions, by the way, there's a, there's a bunch of reasons and I'm going to take you through a quick uh, fraction example. Mm-hmm. We know that out of Black and Latin youth, we know that the proficiency level is less. We know that only 40% of Black and Latin students are even taking the uh, exam. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to make sure that the city is ensuring that every single Black and Latin student can take the exam. Right. That's so the first step. First step was ensuring that four out of, instead of four out of 10 kids, it's 10 out of 10 kids. Mm-hmm. So four out of 10, and then we both discussed how the proficiency level was at one out of four, 25%. Mm-hmm. So if you take the proficiency level, multiply by the number of kids taking the exam, four out of 10 times one out of four automatically becomes one out of 10, which is exactly where we are. Yeah. So it's a combination of making sure there's much higher proficiency from the school districts, from the teachers, from the schools, but also ensuring that <clears throat> there's greater access to taking the exam. But right. right. So all of these things, you know, play a factor. And then even if you just kind of look at my story, right, as when we got started, like, you know, for me, that pivotal point was, you know, my mother, uh, you know, making sure that I got I was accepted into that magnet program. Right. And then because of that, I had all those other opportunities that made it easier to be able to get into schools like, you know, Bronx Science or Princeton or Michigan or what have you. Right. You know, this is and that's why I feel like the SHSAT is so important, because at the end of the day, it's not about just going to a specialized high school. It's about being able to graduate from high school and have no opportunities, um, you know, closed off from you, mm-hmm. right? And knowing that you can be able to succeed and knowing you could be able to do well. And this allows, and then frankly, that's just it. Like some of the kids, you know, not all of our kids, you know, certainly get into specialized high schools, but no matter where they go to school, you know, many have gone to other competitive we, high schools had, as well as their local schools. We've had all of our Dream Chaser scholars, your Dream Chaser scholars, we've seen that they've either ended up at one of the specialized high schools or one of top screened high schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's always been, you know, a- another amazing, amazing 
pathway uh, for our kids. So this year's program, uh, huge thanks to Greater Nexus of mm-hmm. Jamaica, yes. Queens. Yes, yes. Huge thanks to all of the support uh, from the donors that, you know, you and your colleagues at Dream Chasers have, you know, done the outreach and the fundraising, whether it's private dollars from private tech companies or even uh, public dollars from local electeds who see your vision and understand it and, <coughs> and really <laughs> believe it. We had about 90 kids sign up for this uh, entrance exam. Mm-hmm. And we had about 50 or 60 show up to take the exam. And out of there, from the 24 that we were able to have in the cohort, all 24 showed up with their families on day one at Greater Nexus. Right. What did that mean for you? <laughs> yeah, it, it means all the means the world because you know we know this is important and we know we want to do it, but there's there's something different about actually seeing the students, you know, seeing their parents and seeing like the, uh, you know, the energy there, right? And first, you know, I'll just have to give a uh, a great shout out to Greater Nexus. For those of you who aren't familiar, you should look up what it is. It's this new uh, co working space. Yep, <laughs> Greater Nexus. You know, we see you. And um, it's over like right in the heart of uh, Jamaica, Queens. And, um, you know, they're giving us the space for free so that we could be able to have our classes there and then be able to do certain things. Like they just had like a a tech fair, like uh, literally like a week and a half, like right before the class. So they're really invested in making sure that, you know, we're we're readying that next generation out there. So uh, Greater Nexus is uh, terrific. But all of it, just seeing the kids, seeing the parents and just knowing that folks are invested, like being on day one, you know, everyone's a little nervous. Uh, you know, even on our set, like we want to make sure we have our ducks in a row. You want to make sure that the parents and kids feel like this is worthy of their time. But every single time, by the time we get to the exam and they're taking it, like you've seen so much growth, you know, and not just in their academic performance, but in their maturity, like they're oh, yeah. able to, you know, handle more, be able to multitask their time. So the they parent, seem like they're the parental support this year, the school mm-hmm. support. Yeah. Uh tying in the superintendent's involvement right. Right. to the school principals. Right. You know, when we say it takes a village, that's what we're looking for. We we're looking for everyone from the school to the parents to community leaders like you to to their dentists and pediatricians all <laughs> talking about opportunities for, you know, success for our kids. Um Let's shift over a little bit to ed tech. You know, the, the COVID-19 pandemic opened up a lot of opportunities for technology to flourish in the day-to-day of our lives. Mm-hmm. Zoom meetings, remote learning. In a previous episode, we had discussed the rapid uh, rise of remote learning, plus also the rapid rise of work from home capabilities in the workforce, right. especially for new parents like you or, <laughs> you know, parents that have slightly older kids. There is a digital divide. And, you know, uh, what do you see coming up in ed tech, um, given your experiences there? Yeah, so ed tech is an interesting uh, space. I think, especially with the pandemic, you know, it's one of those things where you know, we are all just, uh, especially all the parents that are out there, uh, you're just kind of told to really sink or swim, right? 
And I think that when we think about ed tech, people started to really look at things like other innovative ways to be able to increase the learning experience, right? Because just think about Zoom. Zoom has been around and video conferencing has been around for a long time. But now all of a sudden, you can be everyone can be able to do it from their computers or knew how to do it. That was really the other thing. We all like, learned how. It right, existed, exactly. but now we had to learn it. Because yeah. it's one thing if it's there, but if only two people or 2% of your cohort know how to use it, then it doesn't really make sense, no. right? You could even be able to do this from your phone now, right? Like yeah. all of these things, you know, had to happen because you needed to figure out ways to be able to learn and be able to keep people safe. And I think it's no... Um, you know, it, it's no coincidence that now there are over 1,400 ed tech companies here in New York. The amount of VC capital that's being invested in ed tech is certainly much higher than it was before the pandemic. Uh, I think that we've also learned some lessons there where technology is great and it's important and it's, it's a critical supplemental tool. But at the same time, you know, there's no... Um, you know, there, there's nothing better than actually being in the class, you know, with your actual uh, teacher. There's certain things that you learn there that can't necessarily be uh, replicated by doing it virtually. So on one sense from the ed tech space, we're learning the things that we need to make sure that we're leaning into and making sure that we're getting those experiences. But also we're seeing that Let's say, you know, again, where, you know, you're having trouble with algebra too, right? You, you know, you could maybe be able to, you know, zoom into a virtual class that's going on. Or maybe, you know, you're not feeling a particular day, but that's an important lesson. You can be able to do it. So, you know, a lot of the ed tech that's out there and there's a lot that's doing things like the code, like, like Robin or the Code Academy uh, that are doing some really innovative things out there. But I think it's one of the most important lessons that we learned is where there is room for growth and where, you know, we want to be able to lean into what has worked um, in the past. Incredible. So with the final component of this section, we'll go into fatherhood. Mm -hmm. um, you know, your ed tech, your, your, your son's iPad will be in his hands you know, before he's one, yeah, if it's the not there already, like <laughs> right? So, you know, how old is, you know, first of all, we're, we're huge fans of uh, the name and we're really, really excited for you and Nia. We're, <laughs> we're big fans of Eli, Elijah Miles Clark, Eli, Eli for short. We're big Giants fans here. Let's go, Eli. <laughs> um, how's fatherhood been for you? And how do you, um, what have you learned about your amazing uh, partner and wife and Nia? throughout this parenting journey, uh, you know, how, how have you grown there? Yeah, no, we're, we're so blessed and thankful to have Eli in our, in our uh, family to complete our family. I mean, he just uh, turned four months last week, so we're still very early into it. Um, I've certainly learned to make sure I wear an undershirt every day when mm -hmm. I come home so I could take something off because when he's spitting up, you know, oh yeah, <laughs> it, it'll mess up your, um, you know, your uh, laundry wardrobe uh, very quickly. Um, but it's, it's hard to understand life, you know, before and life after, um, you know, he's been, you know, the apple in our, um, you know, in our eyes and it just makes you look at the world differently. And, it's funny because I, I catch myself at least once a day just looking at him and then just thinking to myself, like, you know, you are only two months old. Like, you're only three months or four months old. You have your entire life 
yeah. ahead of you. All of these experience, all the good and the bad that you know we've had getting to this point, you get to live those. And um, you know, and I guess you know, as a parent, you know, thinking about my parents and what they gave, you know, my sister and I, you know, really just knowing that you know we have an important, you know, our number one responsibility is making sure that we're teaching him, making sure that we're protecting him. And, uh, you know, making sure that we're loving him. And if we can, I, the way I look at it is if I can do that, just, uh, you know, a fraction of what my parents gave to, um, to my sister and I, then, you know, we'll be doing a good job. And actually, the last thing I'll, I'll say about that is that what we also want to make sure is that he knows, um, you know, where he came from. Yeah. You know, just talking about this <laughs> and, you know, talking about all the you know, challenges that, you know, first generation and historically marginalized communities had to go through um, just to get to this point in this country. You know, my, the reason we named him Eli is because my, his great, 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 great grandfather uh, was named Eli Barnes. And during Reconstruction in 1868, he was elected, he was one of the first African-Americans elected to office in the Georgia State Assembly during Reconstruction. And the only way we even know about him is because he testified against um, the Ku Klux Klan and we're able to find some of that testimony. And uh, sadly, you know, sometime after that, you know, any record or, of Eli Barnes' existence is no longer there. Um, but we wanted to make sure that, you know, for our son, that he knew you know, the greatness that each and every one of us have in our stories. There's so much done. Like, and this is a whole other podcast. You know, you look at like Florida and this anti-wokeness. Yeah. How hard it is to be able to teach, you know, history. You know, it's just, you know, no one's trying to teach things left, you know, from a left view or a right view. We're just trying to teach the truth. If you yeah. teach accuracy. But there is so much that's been done to, um, to silence a lot of that. And we all have our Eli Barnes in our stories. And some of us, you know, just aren't fortunate enough to be able to know, you know, what came ahead of us, but we want to make sure that he knows it and, uh, you know, what he's, um, um, what's possible and that, you know, he's our little dream chaser. Love it. We will complete the growth section for this episode at this point. We'll be right back with the culture segment. We believe that every child should have the highest quality education at the lowest prices. Constitutorial is back with in-person and live digital classes for students in grades three through 12. Our programs help thousands succeed through small class sizes, top diagnostics, and free parent workshops. Join us for specialized high schools, SAT, state exams, summer programs, regions, and college admissions. With 30 years of experience and incredible results, families trust cons as your number one tutorial. Call us now for your free trial class. We are back. With the Notre Grove Podcast, Episode 2, Dream Chasers with Jason Clark. Jason, we are reaching our culture segment. It was about a year and change ago. This really exciting billboard went up in the corner of 125th <laughs> Street in Upper Manhattan. And for very handsome men um, from Hamilton Clark Law Firm, had this giant, ginormous billboard, and it caused a lot of inspiring uh fervor and it was just uh, uh it was a lot of excitement in the community how did that feel and take us through uh that billboard moment 
it's actually funny as you're saying this i'm trying to see if i can find this because uh one of my partners yeah um over at hamilton clark he had this um amazing post about it uh maybe i won't get to it in time but yeah um so um hamilton clark it's a, a boutique um it's a boutique uh, litigation firm and it's growing every single day uh now i'm currently serving as partner emeritus which means i was there as one of the founders um but uh hamilton uh, phil hamilton and lance clark they are the um uh, managing partners and yeah i mean they've been amazing when it comes to branding and i was trying to find it on linkedin as yeah. we were talking but he had some uh posts on there which I, i'm not going to be able to do justice but he said like something like on the coldest day you know in the you know coldest day of the year you know the coldest billboard you know was released <laughs> and uh to what uh, uh ivan is talking about there is a uh billboard that we had uh up on 125th street in uh, harlem right at the corner of uh i think it's it's either frederick Douglass or or uh or uh or no it's not frederick Douglass. it's i think it's either malcolm x i, I think it's on yeah, uh, yeah. lennox yeah and 125th and and it was important to us because you know all of what we've been talking today is, you know, really being dream chasers in different types of ways, figuring out yeah. ways to be able to go out there and do something more and figuring out ways to give back. And what I love about, you know, our guys over at Hamilton Clark is that, you know, they wanted to be able to make a uh, create a black owned and black operated law firm that was certainly doing, um, you know, the work on the private side, but also doing work from like a civic engagement uh perspective as well to make sure that like we're protecting our communities and um you know the billboard is one of the things you know we're able to um uh convince google uh who actually owned the billboard space especially during our black history month if we can be able to um you know uh use it you know they're talking about black history it's like we are all black history yeah. you know so that's kind of how it came to be uh but you know they're um you know i am every single day i am um you know, proud and inspired by the work that's done there. And, you know, it's, you know, when you talk about some of the law firms such as Skadden or Paul Weiss or Davis Polk, you know, it all started with just one or two partners being those names and they were able to grow to something larger. Yeah. And I think that's the legacy of, of, of being successful in the profession, but also being successful in our communities mm. that Hamilton Clark is, um, you know, is committed to, um, to achieving incredible incredible it's it, it's been so much fun to see the response to it uh in my social media there was a lot of amazing families just stopping and just <laughs> posting and tagging you and your fellow law partners and to see some of that you know relayed and and, and that inspiration carried into the youth i think that was that was one of the most important funnest things for me uh when this was debuted last year yeah so I want to I want to move over to Jamaica Queens a little bit. You know we got a lot of ties to Jamaica Queens, um, Greater Nexus Community uh, on Parsons and Hillside. Mm -hmm. Shout out, shout outs to One Fifty Third, One Fifty Third Street. Shout outs to all the uh, all the amazing facilities there. But what's going on with the Greater Nexus? What do you see for the future of Jamaica Queens and anything you're looking forward to seeing in the community? Yeah. So Greater Nexus is. Um, you know, just another amazing place that, you know, we're really looking forward to seeing. Like, I love seeing things like 
you know, at the seed stage, you know, right now we're putting the seeds in the actual ground. Um, but then a few years from now, you're going to be able to see it grow into, you know, something pretty amazing. But it's a uh, community um, co-working space that was created in the past year. They had this huge ribbon cutting ceremony. Uh, all the local elected leaders. Uh, I'm, I know that uh, Governor um, Hochul came by to uh, for the ribbon cutting, you know, as well. And the whole idea behind it is just to make sure that we're investing more in our our local entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at Greater Nexus, it's something that is um, kind of the brainchild of the Greater Jamaica Development Corporation. So mm. Justin Rogers, he's the current president and CEO. I know that Hope Knight, who now is currently the president and CEO of the Empire State Development Corporation, which is in charge of all economic growth for the state of New York. Before then, she was the head of the Greater Jamaica Development Corporation. And this is a, a, a huge piece in making sure that there are more opportunities for, for uh, entrepreneurs, figure out ways to create like more business opportunities. Mm-hmm. And they were kind enough to open up their space to Dream Chasers, you know, every Saturday uh, so that we can be able to make sure that we're creating that next generation of uh, entrepreneurs out there. So it's something that's very well needed in Queens and mm-hmm. Jama- Jamaica, Queens in particular. You know, they purposely have it, um, you know, right by, uh, you know, local uh, transportation. And again, Justin, um, Patricia, you know, Pat Robinson, uh, Armand, Armand uh, Paula, Janae, they've all done a lot to really make sure it's not just a community space, but a family space for the folks who, um, you know, call uh, Jamaica and Queens their home. You got the YMCA right across the street. Yep. We got some really amazing uh, schools nearby. We got Constitorial on 117th <laughs> and Hillside Avenue. We got What's that the- button? It's like, oh, that's right. That's right. The whole lot, hold on. We got the constitutorial button. <laughs> so we have all that. And um, and we got a lot of uh, great food in the community. I mean, mm-hmm. food, people, and culture. Uh, it's a very, very diverse community. We have uh, families from everywhere from West Indies and Guyana, Trinidad to South Asia and Bangladesh, Pakistan, yes. India. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, all of our incredible, incredible, uh, you know, long-standing community members, uh, our allies in the Black and Latin community, and, you know, Jamaica Queens originals. So we're really excited about, you know, the direction of the neighborhood. We're really excited about downtown Jamaica. We're really excited about Greater Nexus in particular. And, you know, just to just to continue, you know, seeing um, everything grow and, uh, and thrive there. So, you know, we're going to end today's... Um, podcast with a little fatherly discussion i've been trying to get my kids into marvel comic universe uh-huh. so you're a new father and you're a big mcu fan and i've never uh I'm, I'm a little too old i'm from the sopranos generation uh so my generation never really overlapped with the mcu uh. what is a safe way to bring the marvel marvel universe to our kids i tried with uh iron man one and it of course there's like a grown-up scene early on between robert downey jr and and uh, some fling and i'm like and nepo's immediately <laughs> like why are we watching this turn it off and so we couldn't really iron man one couldn't really work out so okay what's the advice how will you get your son into marvel comic universe and any of the new fathers out there what's a sensible order so our kids are, you know, are, are brought into it properly and age appropriate, you know. Well, I, 
you know, it's funny. I was trying to find um, a picture of it because I think uh, we we already have like uh, a Black Panther onesie, you know, that yeah. <laughs> we got in. So we're starting early. Yeah. You know, first of all, uh, I, I've i loved, you know, Marvel stuff since I was, you know, in elementary school. So for me, I was kind of indoctrinated. And the, actually the way we got into it, and I don't even know that's what the kids are doing now, but it was just like trading cards, right? Yeah, so yeah, So you yeah. look at that and you would trade First cards gen, and yeah. some of that. Yeah, so I had the Ghost Rider rookie card, bro. You see? You see? Holograms. Have, you know, exactly. Holograms. Uh, then you, you know, kind of graduate to the comics themselves. You know, one of the things I like about the Marvel movie, you know, the cinematic universe, is that you can actually find your lane, right? So let's say, like, there's a new um, Ant-Man movie that came out. Maybe this isn't the best one because it's kind of our best example because it kind of uh goes on on years a little bit right (laughs) the the producers here are all very familiar with (laughs) examples if you look at the first two ant-man movies it's very easy to see that these are like family movies yes and i think that you can be able to figure out especially because it's gotten so large like they're over 30 movies by now. i think it's like 30 so ant-man's an all right place to start for my seven-year-old oh yeah yeah you know they that that's a great place uh, to start, there's also like some of the actual. It's not the cinematic universe, but the great thing is like Marvel's owned by Disney now, right? Yeah. So if you're like, let's say on Disney Plus or wherever it is, um, you know, you want to go, they have like uh, cartoons that are you know age appropriate, you know, so you can be able to kind of learn right. some stuff. So that may be a good place to start. Start yeah. with the cartoons, yeah. Disney Plus, the yeah. Marvel comics universe. Who's your uh? I know I'm sure you, you you channel a different Marvel comic universe hero. Is there one person that you really is like your is your, you know, is is your go to or do you yeah. have a Mar Rushmore? I have like how do you how do you reconcile your love for all of it uh-huh. with, with your personal <laughs> faith? So yeah, there there are a ton. I'd probably say my two favorite. I can't it depend on if it's Monday or Tuesday, the one I'll go. I'm a big <laughs> Captain <laughs> America Monday guy. So, yeah, Captain, yeah. so I love, you know, the classic over there and everything, you know, Captain America. Uh, I'm also a big um, Black Panther guy. So that's another one, depending on the day I'm going. But I will say, you know, like they just had the new Ant-Man movie, Quantumania came out. And I totally think it's because I'm a new father. But, you know, everything, you know, Ant-Man is doing there is he's trying to make sure that he's like protecting, you know, his daughter. Right. So uh, a lot of that hits me. So I was kind of coming out that movie. You're like, hey, like, wait a minute. Am I an Ant-Man guy? Am Ant-Man's I feeling Lane? different now? What's this? <laughs> yes. You know, and I don't think I've ever heard anyone uh, nah, say that before. Not but before I love that part of it, you know? Now it's hitting. Oh, yeah. my gosh. So. so, Jason, whether we've discussed, you know, your ascent from Jamaica, Queens, to Bronx Science, to Princeton and Umish Law, to being a founder of Dream Chasers, and discussing... Your, you know, your work with your law firm and your fatherhood and your your love for MCU. <laughs> it's been a pleasure to have you here yeah, on the Nota Girl podcast. We'd love to have you back. And, uh, you know, to all of our listeners, I hope that you've uh, picked up some tidbits from today's um, conversation. You know, I think what Jason's doing here is really showing us that uh, even with uh, an equitable outcome, merit can still very much be part of the conversation Mm -hmm. and um quite often if we are able to let community leaders lead from within the community 
you'll see some pretty amazing results as seen by uh, some of the outcomes of your program. Um, we can't wait to have you back, Jason. And thank you so much for joining us on the Girl Podcast. And Sounds good. Best wishes to all of your Dream Chaser scholars this year. Thank you <laughs> so good. much. And all right. to all of you, remember to pay it forward. Um, and we'll see you next time on the Girl Podcast.